Hello, Anchor. It's good to be with you again. We're going to look to God's Word from Psalm 37. Uh, several messages we considered um, part one last week. The key to a fearless life. How does one live a fearless life? How does one live in the midst of, at times, the animosity that is around us? How does one live in the midst of anxieties that we may feel inside? How does one live when, in fact, at times, there may be some sense of even envy of the wicked and how they're living their lives, and their lives don't seem to be as troubled as, at times, ours are? How does one live in the midst of what even the the world is facing right now in this viral um, or virus that is facing our society? And we are facing it, if you will. How does one live when you see um, the things that we hold dear to under attack? Well, the psalmist gives us a sense of how we can do that. David writes this psalm with the perspective that he looks back in his life, as we considered last week. He looks back at his life in verse 25, and he says, I was young and now I'm old. And he makes a declaration in verse 25, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken are their descendants begging bread. And, and what is that statement? David is essentially saying, here is a resume of God's faithfulness. Uh, I have been through, and people would have known David. He has been through great difficulty and heartache. Some of those heartaches we mentioned even in our last study. But nonetheless, God is, in fact, faithful. See, the key to anxiety, the key to dealing with enemies that may surround us, the key to the criticisms that may come our way, the key to what we're facing even now um, in our society with this um, pandemic is a focus on the faithfulness of God. Now, you may say, then do I not take responsibility or take actions? No, I'm not saying that at all. Um, for the present period of time, we are practicing social distancing. We're not gathering, and that's why we even have this format now. There are the precautions that one should take. You take care of yourself, take care of your family. But in the midst of it, I must also realize I must live a faithful life, one that fears God. And if I can live a life that fears God, I can live a fearless life in society and others will see my life and they will see that my life is different and they will see that my priorities are different and they will see that I have a peace that is unusual. Even as the scripture would tell us at times, it tells us that there is a peace that passes even understanding. In one sense, what it's communicating is it's not reasonable from the human standpoint that a person can have the position that they do. They can have this sense of peace that they have in light of the circumstances they're faced with. A beautiful psalm, and as we already noted, that the psalmist is written in such a way that it divides the psalm into these 20 wisdom sayings, and each of them are beginning with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, Psalm 37 is related to Psalm 35 and 36, in that we see here that God is going to deal with 
the wicked, divine judgment is coming and vindication, vindication of the righteous is on the way. In verses one to eight, there's some key words that we noted before, and I bring them to your attention again. He says in verse one, do not fret. And then verse three, we are to trust. Uh, we verse three are to dwell. We are to delight. We are to commit. We are to trust. We are to rest. We are to cease from anger. These are important for us. And notice it begins, do not fret. And in, if you'll notice verse eight, do not fret. And in the center of it is this idea that we need to cultivate faithfulness uh, and we need to delight in the Lord and cultivate faithfulness as it communicates in verse three, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. As we considered in our last study, it's the idea that we need to feed on the faithfulness of God. God has an excellent resume that he has presented to each man that says, I am a faithful God. Now at times we may wonder, we may even question whether or not God is faithful, but indeed once we arrest those thoughts of doubt, once we arrest our anxieties by the word of God and through our relationship with the living God, then we communicate to our own soul that indeed God is faithful. The world around us is hostile towards us, but despite that, we trust in a faithful God. Let me just remind you of a couple key thoughts from our last study. In verse 3, we are to trust in the Lord and do good. This is the opposite of the evildoers, because what are they doing? They do just that. They do evil. We're to do good. The wrongdoers, they do that. We are to do good. Dwell in the land. That is the idea that we are to, to take root in the land for the people of God. It says, be in this land of prosperity and God will protect you. And when you're there, cultivate faithfulness or feed on God's faithfulness. See, this is the meal uh, that we must place into our soul. This meal of God's faithfulness. And if we can dine on the faithfulness of God, then it will nourish our soul and it will help our mind to think properly about the life around us and how we to live before the living God. But if you're dining on the things of the world, you will begin to think like the world and be like the world and worry like the world. But if we can dine on the faithfulness of God, which is essentially saying, here are God's faithful acts throughout my life and also the life of those around me. And that's even why it's important that we as a body of believers, that we share the stories of God's faithfulness. This is what we see throughout the scriptures abundantly. That is, we will tell of your great acts. We will tell of your faithfulness. We will tell of your wonders. And that's why God would say to the people of God repeatedly, remember these things. And then once you remember them, make sure that you pass them on to others so that they can hold on to the reality of my faithfulness to you, my covenant people. And he says here, we are to feed on this faithfulness and this feeding on is the opposite of the fading herb that's dying, but God's faithfulness will never die. <laughs> I think we can all say amen to that. And now we come to verse four, and this is so strategic for us to understand. So now we are to 
feed on the faithfulness of God. And then next, delight yourself in the Lord. Of course, God would be a person that we would delight in because he's such a faithful and beautiful and wonderful God. Of course, we would trust in him because he is a God of faithfulness. This is important for us to understand. Uh, In one sense, this command is central to the rest. Uh, If one has a relationship to the living God and they delight in that God, then all other issues of life are placed in their proper order. Now, let's look at this command from three standpoints, if you will. First, the command to delight. Secondly, the consequences of delight. And then third, the course of delight. So first, the command to delight. Now, when we look at the word, delight yourself in the Lord, the form of the word is written in such a way that it's a a reflexive form. And what does that mean? When David calls the saints to delight, he is calling for an action that has a direct impact on the subject of the action. That is, um, I do and I benefit from my action. So he's saying that when you delight in God, you reap the benefit of delighting in him. This is a very practical consideration because it's a reminder that we make choices in life and those choices have a direct effect on our future and our present. So I delight in God and from that um, desire that should be internal. And then when I respond to the command of God to delight in him, I derive a benefit from it. I was in a conversation actually with a, a class that I was teaching yesterday and then repeated it early this morning about giving. And we were just talking about this topic of money and how it should be used for the glory of God. And the idea that when we give, there is a sense of delight that we have. When we help other people, there is a satisfaction. We should not simply give because we believe that it is an obligation. We are commanded to give, but nonetheless, we should give because there's a delight that we uh, derive from it. There's a pleasure in helping your fellow brother. There's a pleasure in helping your neighbor because we, in one sense, take on the likeness of our God when we give, and particularly when we give with nothing expected in return. And so here we delight in God and in delighting in him, we reap the benefit of it. Now, the definition of the word itself, um, the word can help us capture the key to addressing really a worrisome soul. David advises that the heart that delights in God will have its desires fulfilled. Look with me at um, verse 11. We see the word there. He says in verse 11, but the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity to delight. um, What does this mean? It means to take pleasure in it's the it has the implication that the object is desirable. And we have to automatically draw a conclusion that our God is a desirable God. And so therefore it is, it should be at least easy to delight in him. Uh, Some would even translate it here, delight yourself in the Lord. It means to take exquisite delight. the, The idea is amplified. 
We do not take on a delight in God passively or with indifference. It's something that invigorates us when we delight in God. The word is connected to a very interesting root that has the idea of to to allure or to entice. Now, think about that implication for a moment. Now, we can think about the word alluring or enticing, and obviously that can be negative. But if we were to place it in a very positive sense, uh, there is a positive enticement and allurement that we have that draws us to God because of who he is, because of his majesty, because of his greatness, because even as we see here in the earlier in the text, his faithfulness. Therefore, I'm attracted to it. Uh, this thought is surely um, captured in Psalm 27 and 4. And David there says he has this one thing that he wants in life. And what is that one thing? To behold the beauty of God. And so it's easy to delight in something that's beautiful. It's natural that beauty is desirable. And God is, in fact, beautiful. God is beautiful because of his sovereignty. He is in control of all things, and all things are working together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God is sovereign in everything you are facing right now. God is sovereign in the midst of this pandemic. And that is the beauty of God, how God can take something that on the surface seems to be so hurtful and the questions that arise in the human heart and the human mind. And he says, I am in absolute control of Every moment. God is beautiful because of his mercy. That's why we can delight in him. God is beautiful because of his grace, his provision, his holiness. And the list goes on. It is simply the statement that God is beautiful because of who he is. And therefore, there is an enticement, an allurement. There's a a delight that we can have in God. So delight in him means to take pleasure in God. Um, what are the things that offer you pleasure? You say, what are the things that attract you? What, what allures you? And this is why the scripture would also tell us that we're not to love the world or the things in the world. These allurements that pull our heart and our affections and our priorities away from the living God. They're enticing. And remember, even Moses, and it tells us in the book of Hebrews that Moses thought it best to uh, suffer ill treatment with his brothers rather than, it says, the passing pleasures of sin. And we can appreciate that because the scripture is very clear that, in fact, sin may be pleasurable. It has an allurement. It has an enticement. And so what we must do is that we find ourselves, will I delight in the world or will I delight in God? In the end, it seems like the it's not even a matter of a legitimate decision. It should be God. But we know that it's not always that way, though it should be. Delight in God. This is what we must do. If we delight in God, then we would be a people who will rise above what is mediocre or mundane. If we delight in God, then our focus would be on bringing him pleasure and glory when we delight in God. 
when we delight in God, I believe that that will be an aroma to other people around us. They see that our priorities are different. Our, our heart is fixed somewhere else because we are enticed by something different than what they are. This is or makes our faith attractive to others around us. We can be a people and actually must be a people. We are commanded here, delight yourself in the Lord. This is in some ways what um, John Piper has captured in his uh, phrase, Christian hedonism, the the sense in which um, we are most satisfied when we gain the most out of our relationship with God. We are built as spiritual creatures and as spiritual creatures, we can only gain spiritual satisfaction from one source. And that source is the living God. And then when we think that way, we live a life that's directed towards one cause, one effort, one focus, one desire to find delight in God, not in the world. We must all understand that the Christian life is not simply avoiding the world or preaching against the world and even biblically loving the world is a passion to strive for the living God. So we must follow the spirit's command through David and delight. Remember the form of the word, the subject does and reaps the benefit. When you delight in the Lord, then you reap the benefit of that Striving, if you will. Turn with me to the book of Job. Turn with me um, to Job. And look with me to Job chapter 22. Job 22, and then we're going to look at verse 21. 22, 21. And it says, and I'm going to read through verse 26. Yield now and be at peace with him. Thereby good will come to you. Please receive instruction from his mouth and establish his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove unrighteousness far from your tent and place your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks, then the Almighty will be your goal and choice silver to you. For then you will delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. And notice again, verses 25 and 26. Then the Almighty will be your goal and choice silver to you. And what's communicated here is we prioritize our lives in that we don't don't hold on to anything in the world because God is that gold and silver to us. He will be our delight. He will be our satisfaction. He will be our joy. He will be our contentment. He will be the thing that gives us purpose in life. Look with me at Isaiah, Isaiah 58, if you will. Isaiah 58 in verse 13, 58, 13. And it communicates this. If because of the Sabbath, you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable and honor it, um, desisting from your own ways and seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word. Now, 
what has happened in Isaiah 58, we should know this. God is indicting Israel and he's saying to them, you're fasting, but it's not a true fast. Uh, I look down on this fast because now, although you may be fasting religiously, you are doing injustice to your fellow man. And then in really in verses three through five, he calls them or really three through six. He calls them to this true fast that you do justice that you show equity, that you be kind. That's the fast that God is looking for. And so here he says, also make sure that the Sabbath is a delight, the time in which you can worship me, but you do it honorably. Your conscience not um, um, conflicted because you're living a life that's contradictory. And notice what he says, in honor it, desisting from your own ways, seeking your own pleasure, seeking your own word. Then in verse 14, then you will take delight, he says, in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. And I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So he's saying, if you would truly delight in me, if I would be your priority, if you, I would be your satisfaction, then you will blossom and be the people that you were meant to be. Your voice will be heard. You will gain the satisfaction of this true covenant that I made with Jacob. But not until you find delight in me. Not until you prioritize your life. And so David in 37 says one of the keys to a fearless life in the midst of those that are fighting against us or whatever you may be facing in life is delight. Delight, satisfaction in God. So we've looked at this idea of the command to delight. Let's look at the consequence of delight. Look at 37, four again, uh, um, Psalm 37, four delight in the Lord And here is the consequence, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's straightforward, isn't it? He's simply saying the person who finds their delight in the Lord will be given the desires of their heart. Well, how does this work? Initially, it may sound like some shallow and unbiblical preaching of the word faith movement. Well, yes, if you have pleasure in God, then look what God will give you. He will give you all the desires of your heart. Now, he is, in fact, saying that, but from a different standpoint. And what we also need to understand is this. And we, what do you mean a different standpoint? The consequences of a relationship with God that truly delights in him for who he is, not for what one will gain, causes a transformation of the heart and the merging of wills. Let me say that again. See, the the consequence of a relationship with God that truly delights in God for who he is and not what one will gain, there is a result, the transformation of hearts and the merging of wills. It is the principle in principle what we find in Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. When I find my delight in God, I take on the heart and mind of God. It's Ephesians 4 and 23. What happens? We are renewed by the transformation of the mind. 
The mind is renewed and it transforms us. As a matter of fact, because of our relationship to God, 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. Yes, we have the mind of Christ. And what we must do in our Christian life is continually nurture that. We go through a process that is called sanctification. And that sanctification, Paul also tells us that we're being transformed from glory to glory. And another way of saying is, of saying that is we are being more and more like Christ as we delight more and more in God and who he is. What happens when the mind changes, when the heart changes, it is this. I want the things that God wants. I I hate the things that God wants. I hate the things that God hates, that is. And I desire the things that God desires. So what he's saying, yes, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How can that statement be made? Because a person who is delighting God is being transformed by God and their heart is being made right by God. That is their motives, their intentions, their desires. It's a purging of worldly desires and it's a replacing with godly Christ like desires. So, in fact, it is, in fact, very straightforward. When you delight in God, he will give you the desires of your heart because there's been a heart transformation. A person can't possibly delight in God and always want the same things. Think about it for a moment. I mean, our lives have changed. We, we grow and we can look back. Perhaps you've known the Lord for some years and you look back and say, yes, I remember when my heart wanted those sorts of things and that was my priority and that's how I use my resources. And now that's different. Why is that different? Because now you have years in the Lord and you delight in God. And the more you delight in God, the heart changes. And haven't there been times when you pray to God and you've, you've asked God, God, this is what I desire. This is what I want. And then you pray more. And as you spend time in prayer and in the word of God, what happens? You realize, oh, that's not the best prayer. And we should also be thankful that the Lord and his sovereign power in his all-knowing ways, this wise father also says no to some of our desires because they're not the desires of delight. A transformation takes place. Let me perhaps illustrate it this way. Um, in marriage, those of you that are married, and if, particularly if you've been married for a, a long period of time, uh, what happens as you get to know each other uh, you understand each other better. And at some point in time, there's certain things that you can give the same answer to. If someone were to ask you, uh, what is your position on this? And you may be able to say the same thing. What are some of your favorite moments? And you can say some of the same things because you've gotten to know one another. Or a person may ask, what is her favorite? And you can answer that. What is his favorite? You can answer that because you know each other. It's in one sense, a merging of, of two people, if you will. And so when we delight in God and he is our priority and our satisfaction and our desire and our affection, then we take on more of the heart of God and we understand better the purposes of God. And then he gives us the desires of our heart. So if we can delight in God and we're walking according to his will and we're walking the worthy walk, as Paul would say in Ephesians and elsewhere, then I think it's best 
for us to delight in God and just decide on the things that we desire in life. And God will redirect us. I came across this scripture really um, probably now 30 years ago before I came to California. I was wondering, what's next? Do I go here? Do I go to this seminary? Do I go to this one? What is next for my life? And I came across this and meditated on it and thought about it and read about it. And I realized, yes, delight in God and decide. Because those decisions will be, if you will, sanctified by my relationship to the living God. And if they're not totally sanctified, my loving father will redirect my life to give me the desires of my heart. Being here in California was the desire of my heart. I didn't fully realize it until it was sanctified. I thought I would be somewhere else, but not. Okay, we've thought talked about the command and we've talked about the consequence the third and final consideration is the course of delight so how does one go about delighting in God it's a command that's clear we reap the benefit from delighting in God we reap also the consequence of delighting in God we have the desires of our heart but how do we go about delight what should I do Do I just say, God, I delight in you? No, it takes an action. Just like in any relationship, you can't say, well, to a person, uh, well, I, I find delight in you. Well, that means you spend time with me. We, we nurture the relationship. Those are the, that are married, you, um, when, especially for men, if you've done it correctly, that is, you pursued your, your wife and you, you asked her to marry you. I delight in you. There is a course of action. So let me do this. I'm going to give you um, just six words, phrases here that can help us delight in God. And I'm going to make it easy since we're talking about delight. They're all going to start with D as well to help you perhaps uh, remember them. And number one is this. If we're going to delight in God, we must start in the opposite. And what do we mean by that? We must despise the world. Number one. One cannot say that they're delighting in God, but yet um, have a love for an affection for a delight in the world. Therefore, we must despise the world. The world is a thing that removes our true joy. It's the thing that causes anxieties often. We must despise the world. Number two is this. Devote yourself to study God's word. This is why, this is where the psalmist also says, you know, that he finds the word of God and he delights in them and he eats them and they are like a honey even to his soul. They are delightful. The word is the way for us to discover more of the one in whom we're to have this delight. So as we go to the word, we discover things about him. And who he is. Now, I'm just going to randomly do this. Uh, I didn't intend it. I don't think I will regret it. But um, if I just turn in my Bible and say, for instance, well, there we are. Psalm chapter eight. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Verse three, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. This tells us something about God. 
that he's majestic, that he is creative, that he is a God that is sovereignly ruling and controlling all things. He has ordained all things. So now I can delight in that God. If I turn over um, to Psalm 47, we fell there. In Psalm 47, it says, God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises for God. Notice what it says is the King of all the earth. Delight in this King, delight in this God. And we could do that for the next hours or hours and hours going through the word of God and being and looking to it for reasons to delight in him. Number three, develop your prayer life. We can't possibly say that we're going to delight in God, which means spending time with him and discovering more about him without praying to him. You must have regular conversations with God. You must sit at the feet of God. You must sit with him and dine with him. You must share your heart with him, your burdens with him. You must intercede on behalf of others to him. Develop your prayer life. Number four, if we're going to delight in God, do this. Defend the truth. Protect the people and the things that God cherishes. Protect the people and the things that God cherishes. Defend the truth. The the church is here as a protector and pillar of the truth. And you are a part of that church. Be a defender of the truth. This is delighting in God. Number five is this. Divorce yourself from the habits that hinder your delight. Now, could I say a lot about that? What are some of those habits? I would encourage you, perhaps even, let's say it this way. I want to exhort you to ask yourself, what are the habits that hinder my delight? You know what they are. What hinders you from prioritizing the Lord? What hinders you from prayer? What hinders you from God's word? What hinders you from meditating on God? What hinders you from your affection growing deeper for the living God? You know what they are. Divorce yourself from them so that you can delight. And then number six is this. Demand more of yourselves than you presently offer the Savior. Do not be satisfied. And let me say it this way. Do not be satisfied with small portions of God. God is an infinite being. Why should I be satisfied with small portions of God? He is too great and too wonderful. It is a well that we can never find the bottom of. He has a love that is inexpressible. He has a mercy that we can never fully realize. (laughs) How many of you, I think about my kids and and growing up, and and it was the same thing with me as well. When I had a a favorite meal that was put in front of me, I wanted large portions of it. Large portions. And at times I would go back. May I have a second? And at times I go back. May I have thirds? And I've seen that thing, same thing true in some of my kids as well that have inherited my appetite. And boy, it's, it's a wonder sometimes just looking at them eat. They want more and they want more because they enjoy it so much. They have delight in the meal. Do you delight in God? How can you ever 
say that I'm satisfied in thinking about the love of God? How can you ever say I'm satisfied in considering the mercy and compassion of God? How can you ever say I'm satisfied in delighting in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, that beautiful Savior that would give his life for you? You want to live a fearless life? David tells us, he says, I was young and now I'm old. Here is a resume of God's faithfulness, and we see it in his life. He says, don't fret because of evildoers. Don't be envious towards them. They're going to wither away. They're going to fade. But you trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Are you satisfied with him? Let me give you some text to close. Psalm 63, 5, for my soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. 65, 4, how blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. Psalm 90, verse 14. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Jeremiah 31, 14, I will fill the soul of the priest with abundance and my people will be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. The question is this, are you satisfied with the goodness of God? With all that's happening around you, that's all that's happening around all of us. Are you satisfied in his goodness? Will you delight in him? And he will give you the desires of your heart. Trust him. He is faithful. Amen. Father, thank you for your word you give us. I pray that we would all delight in you as we should. In Christ's name. Amen.